0: ghostly moaning
1: what is this haunting sound coming into my chamber are they more spirits to haunt me oh Ghostly chain-rattling! Don't be devil, me
2: spirits! No! Ghostly bell tolling!
0: I'm the ghost of Christmas that never was. The Christmas when you got all the presents you wanted. Or what about the Christmas when your family all got along that year? I I don't deserve this!
1: I'm the ghost of Christmas that will never be. Nobody passes out and knocks over the Christmas tree. And no one uses emotional blackmail to get
2: you to attend the party. Please, please, have mercy! And I am the ghost of Christmas that should never be. (laughs) The Christmas where you all watch Cats 2019 as a family. That's hauntingly terrifying! Or perhaps when your grandfather buys you a box of gelatinous liquid and says, You'll thank me when you're older.
1: No, no, please no. I can't take anymore. Please, have mercy on me. I will atone for my capitalist greed.
2: Oh! oh. oh.
1: Ho, 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 fantasy fans, and welcome to Swords & Satire, the podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art. I'm your holly jolly dungeon manager, Jamie Malkal, here with my festive co-hosts.
0: I'm Chelsea Hollowell, a caroler that only sings dark Christmas songs or dark holiday songs. Is
1: there any other kind?
0: And I actually (laughs) scare people off whenever I'm singing.
1: That makes sense. Neat!
0: It's just so I can get some me time, you know?
2: Good technique. Yeah. I like that. It's like a profane jolly aura. <laughs> <laughs> Anti-jolly. Yeah. I think Scrooge had one of those. Yeah.
0: Seemed like it.
2: But who am I? Who are you? Why are you in my house? <laughs> I'm one of them poor Victorian people. I'm like a normal poor person. But, but more lovable, ultimately, because of my accent and time period. And what's your name? I'm Jackie, Jackie Boy Olander. Tiny Jack Olander. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so poor and Victorian, I must be a clever lad. But I won't get paid for it. <laughs> Definitely not that. All right, go sweep my chimney. (laughs) Oh, yee!
1: Yippee! (laughs) Well, guys, this week we have quite a treat for everybody because we will be talking about Disney's A Christmas Carol directed by Robert Zemeckis. Yes. Director of last year's behated Christmas classic. Trainwreck. Trainwreck. Thank you. (laughs) Christmas train wreck. (laughs) Ha ha ha. The Polar Express. Is this movie better? The same? Worse? Stick around to find out. Is it equally unholy in its dead-eyed animation? We'll talk about it. But before we do, guys, you know what really gets me into the Christmas spirit? What?
0: Please tell us, Jamie.
1: I'm going to! It's our patrons! Right! Who support us every month on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash swordsandsatire, taking a look at all of our membership levels, picking one, and then sending us a monthly donation, and getting the gift of awesome bonus episodes in return.
0: They also vote every month on one of the movies that we're going to watch, so that's pretty hype.
2: Now that's a way to support your artists.
0: Yeah.
1: But like I said, Disney's A Christmas Carol is the movie we're talking about. It's a 2009 film directed, as I said, by Robert Zemeckis, starring Jim Carrey as Ebenezer Scrooge and all the ghosts of Christmases. Yes. It also features, slash stars, Gary Oldman, Colin Firth, Robin Wright, and beloved swords and satire, I'm going to say legend, Cary Elwes.
0: Yeah. Isn't it Cary Yules?
1: You know, nobody really knows.
0: <laughs> I think you can find out.
1: I could listen to the audio book that I they? have of his. <laughs> He's Wesley. Oh, yeah. He was in this? Yeah. Who? He was the like, tax collector guy. Or not, like he was like the, the donation guy, like, trying to collect oh, the donations. Oh, at the
2: very beginning.
1: And the very end. Oh. Well. But, before we get into talking about this well-trodden road of A Christmas Carol, I think Chelsea has a little summary for those of you who haven't pulled out your copy of Dickens this year, or watched the film since last Christmas, because I know it's a Christmas tradition at your house yes. to watch it. So... Chelsea, how about a little summary?
0: Okay, here we go. So, this is a story about a capitalist pig dog who gets a redemption arc through a near-death experience, I'm saying. When, um, my hot take, uh, in which... Three ghosts, different ghosts, different spirits,
1: spirits
0: take him on a journey of his life where he and what a life visits the Christmases of his youth with the ghosts of Christmas past.
1: That makes sense.
0: And feels some nostalgia for those times
1: and for that lady that he maybe could have boned, right? If he hadn't, you know. Done the old deal breaker of being a capitalist pig.
0: And then he hangs out with the ghost of Christmas present in (laughs) which he sees all of the lives that he's ruining by being such an asshole. Yeah,
1: but man, I love the ghost of Christmas present. Best character in the movie. (laughs) He does rule.
0: And then he sees the coolest goth ghost, the ghost of Christmas yet to come in which he gets a glimpse at the dark and sorry future if he continues on the path he's on
1: the capitalist path
0: yes exactly in the end he becomes a socialist icon maybe we'll debate that uh, i think uh,
1: he's still pretty hard capitalist but um, but he's nice about it <laughs>
0: And he's more generous hearted and tries to help uh, his fellow man or woman.
1: This is the myth of the benevolent boss.
0: Right. Yeah. But the benevolent capitalist.
2: (laughs) And it ends with the assistant triggering your fight or flight response as he notices you and looks into your soul at the end of the film.
0: And, um... You know, the Grinch the Grinch's heart grew three sizes that day. And oh then...
1: my god, Jim Carrey also played the Grinch. Oh
0: my god. Uh but yeah, that's about it.
1: Does Jim Carrey have a monopoly on Christmas movies where you play an asshole who has to learn
0: To love Christmas? To not
1: yeah, to love Christmas. And it's also beginners. done in animated form? Maybe. Wow, what a summary. <laughs> I think it's time to head into the delve. Welcome to the Delve, where we venture deep into the themes, scenes, and lore of Disney's A Christmas Carol. Very important to denote Disney's, because this is, I believe, the third Disney Christmas Carol, if you count the Muppets, maybe?
0: Oh, right. This one is more of a period piece, though.
1: Yeah. A hauntingly computer-animated period piece. So, guys, I'm going to pull the bandaid off and talk about this really subtle minuscule theme that you really have to like pay attention to pick up in this film. And I'm going to call that theme class struggle. Right. It's again, it's like blinking. You'll miss it in this movie. (laughs) But if you pay really close attention, you'll see that Scrooge is a shitty boss (laughs) who treats his employees like actual excrement.
0: Well, and everybody else he comes across. He has this aura of negativity and hatred that surrounds him. And people like give him a wide berth and yes. run away from him. Children run away from him.
1: I feel like I've met some real Scrooges in my day. <laughs> oh, laugh
2: track. <laughs>
1: laugh track.
0: You see them in retail a lot.
1: But okay. So for real, this is one of the classic stories of worker abuse and redemption through supernatural means.
0: Yes. And, um, like, kind of learning what it means to have the Christmas spirit.
1: Through the Christmas spirits. Yes. Whoa!
0: And then, like, what that could mean for your life if you kind of brought that into your life the rest of the time, you know?
1: We also see, you know, what a shithead bosses usually are. <laughs> <laughs> I think my dad would love this movie.
0: Yeah. Now, you gotta wonder if, like, he's really redeemed at the end, or if he's just afraid of the terrible path he was on, that he was shown by the spirits, and, like, doesn't want to die the next day and be dead.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a really good point. Now, here's the thing, though. If you put the fear into the capitalist's... Brains that there might be consequences for doing terrible things. That last beyond death. (laughs) Maybe the problems will just work themselves out.
0: (laughs) Maybe. I mean, I feel like this is another problem of being in the capitalist mindset. It's a capitalist solution. It is. Just like relying on the rich people to give away their money to the poor and to charities and stuff when there should be social systems in place to make sure everybody is taken care of and has what they need and to tax the rich, their fair share.
1: Correct. It's one of these stories where it seems on its face like a really (laughs) ideal solution to send ghosts to threaten your (laughs) boss. Uh, No. (laughs) Where it seems like, you know, it is a reasonable solution that... If the benevolent ruling class would just help out, everything would be fine.
0: And, like, you can trust in them to be benevolent and help you out. But that's not how reality works.
1: But then again, even Dickens knew that it would take literal ghosts to make this happen.
0: That's true. (laughs) The,
1: The literal, like, fear of cosmological retribution in the form of going to hell and dying unloved
0: right i mean yeah scrooge did seem to be shaken by the fact that nobody would mourn his passing
1: yeah yeah, had, had a lot of concerns about that
0: that did get to him and like when he did see the christmas when his partner left him because all he ca- started to care about was money And he saw how harsh he was really being to her from more of an outside perspective because he had that distance from time. And he couldn't bear to see how cruel he was being to her in that moment.
1: Yes. The modern Scrooge is flinching away from the actions of past Scrooge. Yeah. He's cringing at himself.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. I mean,
1: actually, that's one of the most relatable parts of the movie, seeing uh your old self and then cringing at the thought of it
0: yeah, yeah that's
2: true. it's true he was begging the spirit he's like please don't make me stay in this memory and the spirit's like oh dude you already did this why are you cringing <laughs> you're not doing it again it's in the past
0: yeah they kept telling him these are shadows of things that have happened
2: yeah you can't run away from it it already
1: happened <laughs> That makes it interesting that the first spirit, the spirit of Christmas's past, is a flickering flame. mm mm-hmm. a, a thing that creates odd shadows.
0: Yes. Very true. But also, it can be a light in the darkness and something that's kind of associated with nostalgia, like the candle flame.
2: What? Yeah. It was a really pleasant little spirit. It seemed kind of... I don't know if I'd call anything with Jim Carrey's face pleasant. Yeah, I'm gonna say right out the gate, the Jim Carrey face was unsettling. However... It makes the spirit seem a a little sinister, and I don't think that was the intention.
0: Actually, I do think that was the intention.
2: Oh. Yeah. I I was just gonna say it... It has an Irish accent for affability, right? I think. <laughs> I found that very troubling. Yeah. It was a little strange. They decided to make the little candle boy Irish. Yeah. I don't think I liked that choice. Uh, I kept looking for a character it could be referencing, but that did not exist. But it, this spirit of Christmas past spoke in whispers, which I thought was very nice. It was
1: the ASMR spirit.
2: Yeah, Yeah. it was just sort of, like, pleasantly whispering and, like, exuding a gentle, warm light. I thought it was a very nice, like, a very pleasant spirit if it didn't have a few disarming quirks. Right. Like Jim Carrey's face and being Irish. (laughs) Now, see,
1: this scene is into or this this series of scenes, uh, the Christmas past scenes are interesting because... We see that Scrooge has got a, seems to be a pretty dark backstory.
0: Yeah. When
1: he, like, we meet his sister, who tells him, you know, oh, father is better now, he's not angry. And you can come home You can come home, like, he's been exiled from his own home, Scrooge has. It
0: seems like he lives in the school.
1: He seems, and yeah, he seems to live at the school, he seems to have great affection for his sister but feels disconnected from her and like this is the mother of his nephew fred who we meet at the beginning of the movie who invites scrooge over for christmas dinner and of course at that point scrooge is like fuck christmas dinner and fuck you too yeah you know like you say to family
2: (laughs) yeah That's the ghost of Christmas uh, will never happen or something like that. Sounds (laughs) about right. Yeah, yeah. But But yeah,
0: like when he remembered how much he loved his sister and she died at some point in the past, um, he seemed to, the spirit reminded him, yes, and she had a son, didn't she? And he's like, yes, my nephew. And then he seems to be kind of questioning the way he's been treating his nephew.
2: Yeah, that's sort of like the first time he's actually ever noticed his nephew in that moment. Because yeah. before that, he was just irritated by the nephew's existence, it seems like. And his well, his nephew, Yeah, his nephew is
1: this really exuberant, fun-loving Christmas guy. I mean, he's a real Colin Firth
2: type. Like, it's hard not to like him. Yeah. It's true. He uh, He's all like, hey, uncle uh merry christmas and the uncle's like fuck off and die how about that
0: (laughs) (laughs) i know
1: and fred is still like ah uncle you old bastard you can still come to christmas dinner it's all good you're a you're a hoot (laughs) my friends will love to see you and possibly mock you behind your back in fact that was a scene wasn't it (laughs) it was
2: yeah, let's talk a little it about
1: that. It was interesting to me that Fred's friends and family, like, knew Scrooge. It implied to me that Fred must tell a lot of stories about his bitter asshole uncle.
0: This was one of the scenes we got to see with the Ghost of Christmas present.
1: Yes. True, yes. But the lead-up as, um you know, the connective tissue between the past version, his connection to his sister... And everything is a nice segue to it.
2: You're saying what you're telling me is that the things that we see in the past, he experiences with the ghost of Christmas past. And the things happening in the present are happening with the ghost of Christmas present. (laughs) You know, it's that level of continuity that did not exist in the
1: Polar Express. Yeah. That makes this movie, I would say, infinite times more watchable Then the Polar Express.
0: And it seems to me like he's having a near death experience the whole time because.
1: Yeah, let's talk about that. That was your theory that you mentioned when we were watching the film.
0: He is given, like, the powers of a spirit, like flight, and the ability (laughs) to kind of travel throughout time and to see through walls and things like that. Um
1: Yeah, the spirits give him like for lack of a better word, spirit vision.
0: Yeah. And it's kind of like outside of normal time because when his old partner comes to him, Jacob Marley, uh before the three Christmas spirits come, Jacob Marley visits him and warns him of these spirits and warns him that if he doesn't change his ways, he's going to be kind of damned to roam as a restless spirit. Something
1: that's interesting to me, I just want to say from that scene where Marley comes, Scrooge already, just from seeing Marley, seems to be like, oh, uh, yeah, I mean, if, if ghosts are real, like, I could change, like, he seems to be primed. To make some life changes, just knowing that ghosts literally exist.
0: And that he could be damned. He starts to believe that. And he's like, please tell me what I can do to change this. <laughs>
1: yeah, it doesn't. it's not a long trip for him. No. And then we just get this journey through these stories and visions that really reinforce it for him.
0: Yes. But the outside of time thing, Jacob Marley describes that. He will be going on this journey for the next three nights, and each spirit will come to him at 1 a.m.
1: And like ghosts do, he's fucking lying.
0: He he talks about this as happening that night and the next two nights after that, which would take him through to December 26th. But with the ghosts of Christmas yet to come, that spirit shows him that he dies on December 25th.
2: Yeah, on his but tombstone.
0: He's supposed to be experiencing that on the 26th. And then when he wakes up, it's actually the morning of the 25th.
1: Yeah, see the spirits were like, "Oh, we're going to do it for 3 nights." And they're like, "Oh shit, no, actually this fucker dies tonight. We better like expedite this pronto."
0: And he doesn't actually get any time in between spirits really. He he only gets like a moment and then the next spirit comes right in after the other one.
1: Yeah, I mean, the Ghost of Christmas Yet to Come basically is birthed out of the death of the Ghost of Christmas
2: Present.
0: That transition was so fucking cool.
2: Yeah, really awesome.
0: And, you know, he is like a, a near-death experience survivor after Scrooge is, after he comes out of this experience, because his whole outlook on life has changed. And um, it affects like his priorities and everything, the way he sees other people and his role in the world. And like that happens to uh, some people who have near-death experiences. So it just really reminded me of that.
1: Well, it also reminded me of this, I would say, unsurprising fact that I learned uh, somewhere in my career uh, as an anthropologist or as an anthropology student uh, studying death and dying and how on people's deathbeds, they don't say like, boy, I really wish I'd worked more nights and you know, ground more, you know, rise and grind am I right, everybody? No, people are like, boy, I wish I had spent more time with family taken more days off not just made everything about acquisition 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 because now that again this is deathbed confessions right they're seeing the end of their lives they wish that they had actually connected with people more
0: one of the other things people say i've i've read some of this is they wish they had done more of the things they love
1: skydiving nude uh skiing yeah the classics so. Watching a Christmas
2: Carol. Being on your phone on the toilet for 30 yeah. minutes. Things we all love.
1: But yeah, so we get this really cool transition from the ghosts to one another that I thought yeah. was, a, was a cool visual for the film. To kind of represent how, in this movie, the concept of the holiday is embodied by the spirits that are kind of interwoven together. And I thought that was really cool. And the visual language kind of shows like we've got you know the past is this small flickering light that is kind of distant and a little quiet and we don't quite hear every word it's saying Mm because we're remembering transition to the ghost of christmas present represented by the english visual of father christmas this jovial, like it's it's the basically the British Santa, right? Yeah. He's this big, jovial, effervescent guy sitting on a pile of presents,
0: like mid thirties.
1: Yeah, a real bear daddy. Yeah. Yes. Got the open robes with the hairy chest, and and he's laughing. He's got the big beard. Classic Santa, yeah. but like young and vivacious. Right. He's
2: got the big beard that jiggles when he laughs, the chest hair that you just want to lick, the, <laughs> <laughs> the torch that keeps burning. He's got it all. He's really he really got he it all. He tells
0: Ebenezer to touch his robes.
2: Yeah,
1: <laughs> you know how Daddy's being. Uh-huh.
0: <laughs> and then we have the the goth beauty of the Ghost of Christmas that. Yet to come. Just
2: shadows and bony fingers, just yeah. the way Chelsea likes them. <laughs> it's so cool visually. The way it's a shadow. hmm And then it becomes, like, physical as it reaches up out of the t- second dimension it sits in. Yeah.
0: And the cool thing is... It grows out of Ebenezer's shadow and becomes his shadow.
2: Yeah, I love that. That was spooky as hell.
0: Yeah, it was really
2: good. It, it has like the the aura of a predator. Yeah. At the very beginning when all the music has stopped and Ebenezer just sees it grow out of his shadow. And Ebenezer's like talking to it and it's clearly there. Not responding or reacting. Yeah, that was good. And it's just, just kind
0: like, of watching him.
2: And it is moving a little bit, like, so you can tell it's alive and not just frozen. And you're just like, oh, it's horrible. It's just lurking.
0: Yeah.
1: Now, we were talking while watching the movie how a lot of the visuals of this film remind the viewer of. One of my favorite video games, Bloodborne.
0: Yes. (laughs) It's
1: a spooky Victorian goth setting with crazy ghosts and insane, like, kind of monstrous people. Yeah. And I was just like, did Miyazaki watch this movie before he made Bloodborne and go, yes. This is the visual that I'm looking for. It's very possible. So... But of course, we have to talk about the weird floating ticket in the room. And by that, I mean the bizarre chase scene that happens with the Ghost of Christmas Yet To Come, that is a mirror of the ticket flying through nature scene from the Polar Express. Yeah. This bizarre chase that really shifts the tone of the movie. In a dramatic fashion.
0: Yes, at this point, Ebenezer is also, like, running away, and he's the size of a mouse.
1: He's, like, shrinking as he, as he runs by the citizenry of, like,
2: Shadow London. It's as he is lashed by Ghost of Christmas Yet to Come's whip. Right. That he shrinks in size. And,
1: and in this t- point, the ghost takes on the form of a carriage driver with these... Like, massive, scary black horses.
0: Horses of hell. Yeah, the hell
1: horses. They
0: have- (laughs) Nightmares. Yeah, nightmares. Red glowing eyes, and they are just champing at the bit and frantic to stomp on Ebenezer.
1: Yeah. And And this is where his dream, because up to this point, he's seeing the past. He's seeing what may or may not be happening in the present. This is when the dream becomes a nightmare. Right. So a perfect transition yeah yeah
0: i kind of see this as like his story is chasing him and he's trying to get away because he's like he can't face it anymore he's too afraid to face uh like what happens to him at the end because he knows that he's lived a miserable life and that nobody will mourn him and like he can't face looking at his own body And um, he can't pull back the cover, and, like, the spirit um, of Christmas yet to come is kind of giving him tough love, you know? he's It's really trying to force him to face his fears.
1: It's also a major appeal to the ego, though. I mean, at the end of the day, this is a very individualist story. That focuses on Scrooge and has him be upset that nobody will miss him specifically. Right. He's not so concerned with, oh, I don't like do anything good for people. I'm not going to leave a good mark on the world. It's just like, oh, people don't like me, so how can I get them to like me in the end?
0: It's very selfish, that's for sure.
2: Well, his death made those people happy who hated him. (laughs) That's true.
1: Yeah,
0: Yeah, when he asked, he begged the spirit to show him some comfort associated with death just in general. He kept it very general.
1: No, it's any emotional response. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And yeah, they were really happy that the creditor who was so cruel to them was finally dead.
1: Yeah, and they're like even if somebody else buys our debt from Scrooge, they won't be as big of a shithead as he was.
0: And he the the husband's like, "We can sleep easy tonight, honey." <laughs> and then we
1: also see Scrooge's charwoman who steals his like, drapes and, like, bedspread and stuff. And
0: the shirt off of his dead body. Yeah. And, like, brings it home to her husband or partner. And um at that point, Scrooge is in there listening to them talk about him and how he was such a shithead and how they don't care if they steal from him because he never really paid them well enough. Oh. And it's like it's like part of their back wages they feel like because they can sell some of the stuff they took
1: yeah i mean this is very authentically victorian feeling
0: yeah and he is the size of a rat at this point i kind of in
1: in the like dream nightmare world
0: uh this is symbolism for like how he matters he's like vermin at this point now i
1: like vermin more than i like capitalist pigs yeah true i like pigs more than i like capitalist pigs same yeah so
0: but he's kind of worse than vermin like he does he matters less than
1: vermin right and he's a nuisance yeah he is seeing himself the way other people see him as basically a plague that you can't get rid of too soon (laughs) i mean he's literally running through shit water
0: yeah uh he was like, Oh, this must be Christmas pudding.
2: <laughs> yes.
0: It was gross. Um, but yeah, I felt like the tonal shift was pretty jarring, but in that one scene his size kind of worked symbolically.
1: Yeah, I it is a cool scene, but it's just like he does the thing where like the cartoony Gag where like Scrooge falls down and a barrel's about to land on him and he like kicks it with his feet and like runs with it and like kicks it off and I was
0: just I was just feeling in that moment like, oh no, what the fuck are they doing? Yeah, we
1: needed some Looney Tunes music at this point.
0: I guess so. It's like, okay, they still have to try to appeal to kids, but they have no idea how to do that.
2: They did it in the nightmare chase scene. Yeah. Which was Maybe they thought the scene would be too scary, so they put in some slapstick comedy. You know,
1: that is a fair strategy for a film that is supposed to be a family film. This is, I mean, if people don't already know this, like, A Christmas Carol is a 150-year-old, like, well-known family story that families tell at Christmas, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean... Dickens was interesting, for those of you who don't know, because he was kind of one of the first, like, popular writers to be, like, widely read in his own day. Yes. Yeah. Like, he was writing serials, so stories that would come out, like, weekly or monthly or whatever, and people would be, like, waiting and looking forward to them. He was like yeah. George R. R. Martin of his day, but he released something, like, every month.
0: And he was so popular that he would go around and do readings of his work.
1: Yeah. But I mean, so he was this interesting, kind of like famous artist of his day. Yeah. Like we think of his writing as pretty tame these days, but it was he was kind of an impressive figure um for literature. Like we're talking about a time when literacy rates were becoming higher and you see this coat of personality kind of Uh, 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 building up around Dickens, like rock stars of the 50s and 60s.
0: Yes. Well, he was deeply political in a time when that being so outspoken was kind of a novel thing.
2: Yeah. I'll tell you this much. Scrooge, his politics still seem very familiar in our modern day and age. Let's talk about it. In reference to the poor, he has a very pull-yourself-up-by-your-bootstraps mentality. Yeah, yes. and like
0: blaming the individual for their plight. No thought to the social and economic environment that creates these conditions that people find themselves in. He's yes. also
1: a eugenicist. Yes. He believes that if you can't work, you should just die.
0: Yeah, so that you're not a drain on society
1: he talks about the social causes he supports and their prisons debtors prisons work like workhouses i guess like basically slave labor camps for lack of a better word
0: yeah if you were like in debt but not so in debt you had to go to prison you could go to like a workhouse and you would like owe rent but you could try to work it off but like Basically, it was like loan sharking. You you could never really work it off. It was right. basically like you get worked till you're bone tired and people would often just like work themselves to death.
1: Yeah. And today we have a prison industrial complex. Hey, Merry Christmas, everybody. Uh,
0: <laughs> and then the men who were trying to get him to give to charity and he was telling all this stuff to, he was like, the workhouses are still going. And they're like, well, yeah, but frankly, sir, some people would rather die than go to a place like that. (laughs) Yeah, and there's the
1: eugenicist thing where Scrooge is like, good, let them die. (laughs) Maybe they should. (laughs) Yeah. And I like how throughout the movie, those lines are echoed back at Scrooge as he's kind of breaking down.
0: And like his barriers are breaking down and he's developing some emotional maturity and like empathy for others. And it's right after he's been told That Tiny Tim won't last too much longer if he doesn't get help because he's sick. And he says to the uh, spirit of Christmas present, like, please tell me Tiny Tim will make it. He won't die just because I was a shithead. (laughs) And um, that's when the spirit repeats the words back to him. Well, if he can't contribute to society, he should die then. Yeah. And then Scrooge is just like horrified. Like at the
2: things he said. Yeah. Yeah. And Father Christmas assumes his face. Yeah. Right. During that scene as well. Yeah. So it's
1: interesting to me that breaking down of somebody's so-called values in the face of real experiences is something I have seen so many times when talking Two people who have what I would say are shitty values about like pull yourself up by your bootstraps, mentalities, and stuff. And like, if you are talking to an actual human being who has any amount of empathy, as soon as you bring something to a personal level where they think about how the effects of their political beliefs might impact those they care about or themselves, it just shatters. This whole facade yeah. is like, well, I don't want my kids like to have to suffer this way or whatever, like, whatever it takes. I don't know why Scrooge cares so much about Tiny Tim since he doesn't seem to give a fuck about Bob Cratchit. But what I'm getting at is that when you stop externalizing things and generalizing them like, oh, the general public I don't care about. When you make it about an individual that somebody knows, it changes their whole fucking thing. A lot of times. Not for everybody. Some people are just so hard-hearted, they could care less. Or at least, that's the way they act when they're trying to talk a tough game or whatever.
0: Yeah. And um, this does... He does kind of change his reaction, like you're talking about, um, and kind of have more empathy for Tiny Tim after he's been reminded... Like, what he went through as a child and how he needed help.
1: Yeah, it's this idea that so many people say, like we've said, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. It doesn't happen. There are social programs in place that everybody in a society uses at some point in their lives.
0: Yeah, like he went to public school. Yeah. And the fact that that was there was the only reason he had a roof over his head.
2: Yeah. The only reason Scrooge was able to thrive is because he relied on the generosity of others that he himself did not show to others.
1: Right. Great point. His old boss, Mr. Fezziwig, played by beloved Bob Hoskins. Yes. Mario himself. (laughs) (laughs) Mario, Mario. Um, No, like, that was this really interesting scene where we get this flashback to his job where he was like a young apprentice. And he was having a great time. Yeah. Like, he's this fun-loving, young, vivacious dude with his co-workers, and his boss is, like, the nicest guy. And he basically ends up forsaking Mr. Featherwig's influence years later by becoming a hard-ass dickhead.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Mr.
1: Featherwig is, like, this ideal boss that you'd like to have, where he's like, Hey, guys, it's Christmas. Like,
2: Stop working. We're going to party. Yeah. Let's defy the laws of physics in our profane dance. Yes. <laughs> That's what I want every Christmas.
1: Yes. Is to defy the laws of physics. In a profane dance that makes people actually levitate off the ground yes.
2: and dance
1: as if they're not even touching the floor.
2: I want to replace the music in that scene with the music from the final scene of the Vavitch.
1: Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. All right, listeners, get creative out get there. Get on it. Splice get. that together for us. <laughs> so we get this vision of Scrooge as a young man who's much more social. And gregarious. But something twists in him at some point, And that's when we see him basically in this loveless relationship where his fiancée, played by beloved Robin Wright, actually says, like, I free you from your contract. The contract of being my fiance." She has to put it in business terms.
0: Yeah. Which
1: is like this dagger in the heart of Scrooge. Yeah. It's using his capitalist language cold and calculating to be like actually i'm breaking up with you
0: yeah he says like his feelings towards her haven't changed and he wants to know why she thinks he's that's the case and she says you know it really you have changed like you love your money more than you love me yeah
1: like and if you met me now would you still have fallen for me? And he can't really his silence. yes. Yeah, his silence speaks volume.
0: Yeah, and she says, yeah, I didn't think so.
2: Yeah. Basically, that was good. Yeah. that was good. She says, was good you're statement. cringing the shit out of me, babe. Capitalism? <laughs> <What happened laughs> Ew. And
0: she was like, you know, when we were younger, we were content to be poor together, and we were happy, and now you only care about making money.
2: She says, hey, honey... Would you date a poor girl? And then he throws up and she
1: leaves. (laughs) So, guys, I gotta ask. Does this movie handle class better than the Polar Express did with the poor boy in the back of the train?
0: Oh, absolutely. It shows a better idea of, like, what's going on from people of different classes and, like, what their perspectives are. And, like, how they see... The rich characters and different people's perspectives on scrooge and like there's the middle class gathering that's his nephew it's in more of a middle class neighborhood and house and um they have like a little bit nicer clothes and like more food and they're a little bit more comfortable but they still don't agree with scrooge's tactics and they have animosity towards him another
1: fantasy element of the film the middle class actually having solidarity with the lower classes rather than the upper class
0: yeah like i guess that's the dream right yeah but
2: yeah or another fantasy the middle class existing at all no can't even imagine what that would look
1: like yeah that's not true i grew up in the 90s (laughs) oh i didn't (laughs)
0: In the fucking Polar Express, they're just like, oh, there's that one poor kid at the back of the train, and like, he just needs to understand what the Christmas spirit is all about, and even if he complains about not getting gifts, we'll just tell him that Christmas is about gifts, and that's why he should like it.
1: And that makes him, that cheers him up. He says, I don't get gifts, the girl sings a song about kids getting gifts, and then he's like, oh, yeah, I guess I do feel better. Kids get gifts. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's about gaslighting the poor in the Polar Express, but that's a different movie. Yeah. But it's hard not to talk about, through the lens of this film, A Christmas Carol, directed by Robert Zemeckis with the dead-eyed CGI.
0: <laughs> well, this was actually, like, based on a work that was written by a class-conscious author. Yes.
1: Yes. Now, I'm glad you mentioned that, because I like how a lot of the dialogue in the film is pulled from A Christmas Carol, the short story. Yeah. Which I read some years ago, and, you know, I mean, I know it's an imperfect allegory for class consciousness, because there's plenty of, let's say, gaps in the logic of it, but it's a story I really enjoy. Yeah. Yeah.
2: The fact, however, that it was written 150 years ago, and there are people these days who still don't get it.
0: Yeah.
1: It it (laughs) passes.
2: It passes.
1: Yeah, I mean, so I was saying, I think it's becoming a common refrain on this show that I think that heavy-handed metaphor might be necessary in movies, Because people still don't get it. They walk out of a movie like this going like, well, that was animation with no uh, meaning. (laughs) Like, uh, did you miss the part about how the boss was a sociopath who wanted everyone to die and supported eugenics and slavery? Like, basically modern slavery? Yeah. And uh, he had to learn not to be that way through fear of divine retribution?
2: Well... I think that's one thing about, you know, the capitalist culture is, well, education certainly isn't a part of it, but a lot of people aren't taught to, like, mindfully view the world or think about things critically. Yeah, yes. Like, Scrooge has to be scared into actually taking a look at his life. Otherwise, he just would not do it.
1: That's a really good point, and I think that is supported by kind of what we've touched on, that... He's open to changing when Marley shows up, but he needs to be pushed like all the way through these experiences. He's like, oh, I might like be a little bit more sensitive. It wouldn't be a big change. But like finding out that ghosts are real impacts him. But seeing the actual potential outcomes, that's when the switch really clicks for him.
2: Yeah. Well, he's made to look at All the best parts of his life and the worst all at once. Yeah. That tends to get people thinking, you know, that gets the ball rolling. Yeah.
1: Well, yeah. And I think that that really supports Chelsea's near death experience reading of Scrooge's dream slash the actual ghosts that show up and haunt him.
2: Yes. There's a quote that I like. I forget who said it right now. You can find that out. <laughs> That's what Google's for. But it it's uh, every time you spend money, you cast a vote for what kind of world you want to live in, right? Right. And it just sort of inspired the phrase mindful spending that I've been kind of spreading this this year oh, to people. Let's talk about it. Yeah, yeah. Well, mindful spending is something that happens in this movie. Right. We've already referenced it a couple of times, like when the charity people come and they're like, hey, help the poor. He says, no, I'll keep my money. We see the direct consequences of that. And that's mindful spending (laughs) because he's like, oh, if I don't pay my employees, they can't take care of their kids. Oopsie doopsie. (laughs) Because money, you can sort of view it like your weight for how to change things around you. (laughs) because if you're rich, you get to change things more. Yeah. Unfortunately,
1: that often results in people changing things to benefit, let me check my notes here, the rich. Yeah. And the powerful who are also becoming rich.
2: Yeah. It's true. Mindful in in a time
1: in a time when the rich are actually becoming richer, I think a movie like this is possibly more important than ever.
2: I don't know. Yeah. As important as ever? I think the end result of what I'm saying is the people who are very rich like this are thriving in a system that has taught them not to be mindful or to take a critical look at what they're doing. Right. So, because they are thriving in the system, They are very much encouraged not to go through what Scrooge has gone through, because what Scrooge is going through ended up being a very good thing for him and everybody around him. But it was sort of one of the worst things that's ever happened to him. (laughs) I feel like
1: that is a a common theme in in films and possibly life.
2: It's a hard lesson. Yeah. Yeah. And I've heard another quote that was, sometimes being saved can look a lot like you're being killed. Yeah. Yeah. And that could have taken the form of a near-death experience in this film. Because it literally did take him seeing that his life was going to end horribly for him to realize that he was doing things poorly And if you're a thriving capitalist pig, I don't think you want to go through that experience. I'm sure that ignorance is bliss sort of thing just sort of rules. (laughs) I'll bet it does.
1: Guys, I would be remiss if we move on without talking a little bit more about the characters in the film who are not Scrooge. Because we've talked a lot about Scrooge. Because the film is through his perspective. But we've got some important side characters who play major parts in his story, especially Bob Cratchit, his employee, Mm -hmm. his family, but mostly Tiny Tim, the disabled child of Bob, who is kind of one of the most significant characters in Scrooge's transformation, and Fred, the nephew of Scrooge, who really wants to like his uncle. Yeah. Which I think makes the story more relatable to have kind of a window through those characters to get to know Scrooge a little bit.
0: Well, Fred's mom really liked her brother.
1: Yes. And that's so a great point.
0: She probably talked him up to Fred when he was younger.
1: Yeah. Like when uncle Scrooge was, Oh, uncle Scrooge. It's uh that's a Ducktales.
0: Oh yeah. Character. <laughs> Scrooge. Um,
1: duck. Yeah. Um, you know, oh, when Uncle Scrooge and I were kids, he was the sweetest boy and all this, right? So Fred has got this predisposition to want to like him. And I think it's very relatable to have a family member that you can be like, man, if you didn't have, like, something really particularly shitty about you, I think we'd get along really good. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, like, he's... Wants to try like to in s- this
1: case that you want the poor to actually go die.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and Fred really wants to try to save his uncle.
1: Yeah, he he tries to be nice to him. He tries to invite him over for dinner, a a gathering, a party. All Scrooge does, we know that Scrooge says all he wants to do is work in his creditors' shop, and he never goes out. He never enjoys himself. He never sees anyone who isn't yeah. his employee.
0: He just loves being in there counting his coins, he doesn't get out and see the world at all.
2: Yeah. He also doesn't understand economics aside from how to get more money. Yeah. Cuz if the poor die, someone else will just become poor. <laughs> also, if your employees are freezing, they're
1: not going to work as efficiently. <laughs> yeah, he even lo- he <laughs> doesn't even understand the economics of like, making your employees happy so that they work better.
0: Right. Like, he locks up the coal. He's really strict with Bob, and Bob lives in fear of his boss. And, like, even though he only is paid, like, 13 tuppence a week, which isn't a living wage, um, and he's trying to feed, like, a whole family on that.
1: What, does he have, like, three or four kids? And
0: Like, at least four kids.
2: At least four
0: um and and his wife and they do like there are some social services like they there's like a bakery that's giving away geese like cooked geese to the poor and so they get a cooked goose that's stuffed for their meal and so there are some services like that in place but just it seems like for the holidays right. they can't afford like any kind of doctor there's no health care and um they're just you know really struggling
2: they yeah. can only afford the
1: love for each other yes that don't cost nothing well in
0: no. that way they're rich
1: yes yeah man they are a nice family yeah like
0: <laughs> they all get along and love each other
1: yeah another fantasy of the movie <laughs> yeah seems like fred's family is similar like they're just like oh this is great we have each other we're playing games We're we're playing the which animal am I talking about? Oh, it's Scrooge, actually. Game. My favorite game. Classic. (laughs) Describe a family member in (laughs) uncharitable terms. Yeah. And guess which one we're talking about. Eh, It's a classic
2: game. We all know it. (laughs) But yeah, the whole movie was a class struggle segment. Right. Yeah, that was the Christmas treat for this
1: episode, which is coming out on Christmas. That's right. God bless us, every satirist. Why don't we move into the workshop? Welcome to the workshop, where we each forge a rating for this movie after we share an epic moment or feature from the film. Chelsea? Do you want to tell us your epic moment or feature and then give us your rating from one to ten ghostly chains? Ooh,
2: that scared me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> sure.
0: My epic feature is the ghost of Christmas yet to come.
1: Hell yeah. Yeah.
0: they like we were saying before, their art design is so cool. There are several times when they are Ebenezer's shadow. And so it's like a constant companion of his. It's really good. Death
1: is always right around the corner. That's what I say.
0: Great symbolism there. And like Jack said, whenever it needs to point at something, it has this 3D skeletal hand that comes out of the shadow that will point at things. It never speaks directly to Ebenezer. It only points at things that he should bring his attention to. And even there's this cool creepy part when Ebenezer is supposed to pull down the covers to see that he himself has died, and he can't do it, and the ghost starts to pull it down with one skeletal claw. Oh, yeah. That was really spooky and good.
2: Yeah, that ruled.
0: I, I really loved the way they were like able to morph with the shadows and become other creepy things. So that was really cool. I'm going to give this movie... Eight out of ten ghostly chains. I think it has, even though some of the socialist ideas are pretty dated, it has some really good messages in it.
1: For its time, it was fairly revolutionary.
0: Yeah. And I think, like, some of the art direction is pretty interesting. There were some definite flawed scenes, like we talked about. But I think, overall, it works really well. And it actually did evoke emotion for me. So, it's way it's like leagues ahead of the Polar Express.
2: A low bar to clear.
0: <laughs> so yeah, that's my rating.
2: All right. Very cool. Everyone. God bless the rating. <laughs> <laughs> Every chain. <laughs>
1: How about you, Jack? What's your epic moment or feature and your rating from 1 to 10 Ghostly Chains?
2: I'll tell you, my epic moment was at the end of the film when Scrooge is going to Fred's Christmas party. Yes. Now, Scrooge already saw this scene with the ghost of Christmas present. Yes. When Fred was roasting Scrooge with all his friends and family, and they all thought it was funny and started talking smack about Scrooge. Yeah. Scrooge didn't like that very much. And now he (laughs) realized... It hurt him, and he realized that his love for his deceased sister could extend to his nephew, that was always there trying to cheer him up, that he never gave a chance and was mean to. And so, at the end, Scrooge does something pretty brave, I think. Yeah. Which was, he goes to the party he knows they're gonna make fun of him at, and he hears them doing the buildup to the joke that is at his expense. And he walks in right before the punchline. And it sort of makes everyone, like, freeze up. Like, oh.
1: What did he hear? How much <laughs> yeah, did he yeah. hear? <laughs> and
2: he was, and, and Fred is just like, hey, uncle, what's up? He's like, I was just hoping I could join the party if you'll have me, right? And he's really meek and sort of yeah. like. Yeah,
0: obviously afraid.
2: Showing humility. Yeah, yeah,
1: and but also fear that he doesn't know how people are going to respond to
0: him. He's afraid of rejection.
2: It's, yeah, it's really clear he wants to be a part of their celebration. And there's a pause where, like, everyone is sort of stunned. But then they, like, explode with excitement. They're like, of course, uncle.
0: And they surge towards him. And it's just, like, this overwhelming tide of cheer.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and he has. No, the wave of cheer, too powerful. And, uh. I think it's just so positive the way they're like they're frustrated with him is really the point of the whole thing. They're sad because they want to love him, like we said, and they're upset because he won't let them. And then he shows up and he wants to be a part of them. And he he made their Christmas probably. Right. And so that yeah. was really nice. Big, wholesome. And so uh, I loved that.
0: That's a good moment.
2: Yes. Now, if I, pretty epic, wholesome. Now, if I were going to give this movie a rating, which I will. (laughs) Please do. What are we rating it out of? Ghostly Chains. Ghostly Chains. I'm going to give it seven out of ten of those Ghostly Chains. Very nice. I liked the animation. I liked the themes. I liked a lot of the characters. It got a little crazy at a few points, like the chariot chase scene and the Irish little boy yeah. F- candle. Yeah. And just, there were just a few things that rubbed me the wrong way.
1: Right. Couple of
2: choices. But I am already looking forward to watching this again. Very nice. And Always I, a good sign for Jack. And I, I think this is a film I would not mind seeing maybe every year. So... Yeah. I enjoyed this a lot, and uh, it was great. I loved it. Nice. (laughs) That's it. What about you, Jamie? What's your epic moment and or feature and rating out of 1 to 10 ghostly chains?
1: Well, I'm glad you asked. My epic moment, I'm going to precede with an honorable mention to my favorite character, Father Christmas. The ghost of Christmas present. Yes. What a guy. We've talked about him. We all love him. There we go. My (laughs) epic moment (laughs) takes place at the very beginning of the film. And it is the establishing scene so that we know that Scrooge is a real shithead. Yeah. And it's at the funeral director or pallbearers or whatever's place of business, the funeral home. Yeah. Where... Jacob Marley, Scrooge's partner of many years, is lying in his casket, two coins on his eyes for the ferryman, two tuppence, two coins, tuppence coins on his eyes for the ferryman. And Scrooge is basically proceeding over paying for Marley's services. Right. And the, I'm just going to call him funeral director, is like putting out his hand, like, okay, pay up. And Scrooge, like, you know, again, this is establishing the character, Scrooge pulls out his purse, and he's like, slowly grabbing coins and putting them in his hand, in the man's hands, one at a time, like, how much are you gonna milk me for, you motherfucker, yeah. <laughs> is what Scrooge is saying, with his eyes. And after he pays, he turns to Marley's corpse, and he pulls the coins (laughs) off of his eyes, and he holds them up to the little boy, who's the pallbearer's assistant, and says, tuppence is tuppence. (laughs) Oh, man, what a great establishing moment for a real bastard.
0: And the little boy... The look on his face, it's like he's looking at the devil himself.
1: that eh, close enough.
0: And even the funeral director is, like, shrinking away from him after that.
1: Yeah, Scrooge, like, we said it, we alluded to it, like, he seems to have this aura of hatred, like an anti-paladin, where, like, yeah. everybody around him is just uncomfortable and doesn't want to have anything to do with him, especially at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Alright, so, as far as the rating goes, I'm gonna give this film... Seven and a half ghostly chains. I think you guys have really found the sweet spot. This is, again, I'm a big fan of Dickens. I We studied Dickens um, in my undergrad literature classes, and I had no idea that I'd be really into his writing. Super enjoy it. It's very fun. I can see why he kind of popularized the concept of being an author and reading uh, for his era. Yes. The story, I think, tells a good morality play or creates a good morality play. The characters are iconic and memorable. The film captures it pretty nicely. It's got a very cool aesthetic. The recreation of Victorian London looks awesome the clothes the feel the sooty rooftops and everything just like really brings it to life I think it's thoroughly enjoyable a few tonal shifts that don't totally do it a few lines of dialogue where because again they take the dialogue from the story but they also create their own dialogue and I feel like the difference between them is often very noticeable. Like, they couldn't quite capture the Victorian language of Dickens. Right. As as much as they tried to. Sometimes they could facsimilate it pretty well, but a lot of times it was pretty obvious, like, when it was not the original dialogue, I thought. Right. But yeah, uh, Seven and a Half Ghostly Chains, really fun. Chelsea and I saw this movie in theaters. I remembered really liking it. Then last year when we watched The Polar Express, my world was shattered. Yes. (laughs) I thought that I could never like one of these films again. Then I remembered last night that uh, Beowulf is actually the Robert Zemeckis-directed animated film that took place between The Polar Express and this movie. And now, next year... They're going to be doing Pinocchio.
2: Oh, my God. Zemeckis
1: is going to be doing Pinocchio in the same style. So
2: we'll see. Polar Express for our show was our hero's journey, Dark Knight of the Soul.
0: Yes.
2: (laughs) That sounds about right. It's true.
0: It nearly broke us.
2: And one of our best episodes. Go listen to it if you haven't, (laughs) listeners. It
0: is really good.
1: I think it's very fun.
2: (laughs) Listen to us suffer. Derive
1: pleasure from our pain. Do you do you want to hear me staring into the abyss and describing the journey? Go listen to our episode on the Polar Express. Yes. Well, guys. That's going to do it for us on another episode of Swords & Satire. As always, if you enjoyed the show, you can follow us on social media at Swords & Satire on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter so that you can keep up with our show, learn what movies we're watching next, and check out the memes we make for every movie.
0: And like we mentioned before, if you'd like to be a supporter of the show and you have the means please go over to patreon.com slash swords and satire. You can become a patron, select one of the tiers that works for you. And each tier gets cool bonus episodes and can vote once a month on a movie that we're going to watch. And we would just really appreciate it. It helps us keep the lights on here in our uh, satirist workshop.
2: But if you don't have the means, but you have the love, Go out and spread the satirist cheer this year. Maybe, perhaps, watch some of the films we talk about with your friends and family, and then you can bond over the Swords and Satire episodes. You can terrorize your loved ones by showing them the Polar Express. Oh, God. If you like that movie, I think you could be a Cenobite from the Hellraiser series. (laughs) I believe it. Ye have
0: such sights to show you.
2: (laughs) Someone please draw the conductor from Polar Express as a Cenobite. Oh my god. (laughs) Saying that line. Jack, I think you should draw that. Oh, that is in my art style. Definitely. I'll do it. All right. I'll heckin' do it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You'll frickin' do that?
2: (laughs) Polar Heck. My new movie polar razor (laughs) yes whoa that's good actually that's a great name for a train too actually (laughs) it is all right well until next time
1: hail Krampus! krampus